0: to Watchman on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. We have two major conferences coming up, one in person and one online. Our next in-person conference will take place Friday and Saturday, January 28th and 29th in Lakeland, Florida. Registration is free. Visit SWRC.com and click on Events at the top of the homepage. The Central Florida Prophecy Conference, January 28th and 29th in Lakeland, Florida. Register today by calling 1-800-652-1144 or visit swrc.com. Our next online prophecy conference will take place February 4th through the 12th. All online and on demand. For the complete list of speakers and topics for these and all of our upcoming conferences, visit the event page at our website, swrc.com. The last two days, we've been introduced to James Collins' brand new book on the Minor Prophets, The Twelve. Today something unique will take place as we listen to James Collins get some special feedback on his new book. My latest book, The Twelve,
1: was recently released by Beacon Street Press. Now the book is actually a study of the twelve minor prophets of the Old Testament. I'm very excited about the release of The Twelve, and I'm also excited about this special edition of The Watchman on the Wall. A while back before the official publication of the book, several listeners were selected to receive review copies of The Twelve, and those listeners put together some questions. On today's program, we're going to do something different today. I'm going to take phone calls from listeners and answer their questions about my new book, The Twelve. Our first caller is Dorothy. Dorothy, you're on the Watchman on the Wall. What's your question?
2: Ah, this is Dorothy from Kansas, actually. Yeah, I have a question wondering why you would choose to put a book on the Minor Prophets.
1: Well, that's a great question, Dorothy. You see, about 20 years ago, I preached a message from Obadiah, and I thought, that people in the church's heads were going to explode. Most of them had never heard of Obadiah, and they couldn't find Obadiah in their Bible without looking at the table of contents. I mean, how many sermons have you heard from Obadiah or Habakkuk or Nahum or Zephaniah? Probably not very many. And I've always felt like the 12 minor prophets were sort of overlooked. And as I was researching this book, I came across an interesting article from the Christian website Crossway Crossway conducted a survey about the Bible reading habits of Americans. They surveyed 6,000 people to learn how often they read the Bible and what portions of the Scripture that they read the most. They asked questions like, which sections of the Bible do you read most often, and which section do you find the hardest to understand? According to their research, most Bible readers read from the New Testament, and when Americans do read from the Old Testament, they most often read from the Psalms. Proverbs, and the book of Genesis. At the very bottom of the most read Bible list were the 12 minor prophets, specifically Obadiah and Nahum. That article kind of opened my eyes as to why Americans spend so little time reading the prophets in general, and the minor prophets specifically. Most people feel like the minor prophets are the most difficult books in the Bible to understand. About 45% of the Bible readers in that survey identified the Old Testament prophets as the most difficult to understand of all the scriptures. So I've sort of made it my mission, Dorothy, to rescue the minor prophets from the bottom of the Bible reading pool. That's that's why I wrote the book. That's why I, I wrote the Twelve. Dorothy, that was a great question. Thanks for calling.
0: Yeah,
2: no, you're quite welcome.
0: I'm anxious to
2: read it.
1: Okay, let's take our next call. Hi, you're on with James Collins.
0: Hi, I've enjoyed what I've read of your book, The Twelve. And I want to know, what's the difference in a minor prophet and a major prophet?
1: Well, that's another great question. Bible scholars classify the prophets of the Old Testament into two different groups. We have major prophets and minor prophets. There are four major prophets. That's uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. The 12 minor prophets of the Old Testament are Hosea, Joel, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Now the major prophets are called major because their prophecies are longer. The minor prophets are called minor because their prophecies are shorter. However, there are major messages contained in the writings of the minor prophets. I appreciate that question. Thanks so much for the call. Thank you. Okay, next on the line is Gloria from Texas. Hi, Gloria. You're on with James Collins. What's your question?
2: Hi. Well, I have a question about Jonah. Okay. When Jonah was in the belly of the fish, did he die?
1: Well, that is an excellent question. Yes, I believe that he did die, and I believe God raised him from the dead. Here's why. The Apostle Paul defined the gospel. He wrote, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and he was buried, and he rose again the 3rd day according to the scriptures and we read that in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4 now when paul says according to the scriptures he of course is speaking of the old testament so where in the old testament do you find someone dying and being raised again 3 days later the only place that's even close is here in the book of jonah also we read in Matthew 12:38 jesus had an encounter there with some pharisees and we read Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Again, that passage is found in Matthew 12, verses 38 through 40. Jesus said that just like Jonah was in the whale's belly for three days and three nights, he would also be like that in the earth. Jesus was dead when he was buried in the tomb, and I believe that Jonah also died in the belly of the fish, and three days later, God raised him from the dead. Great question, Gloria. Thanks so much for the call.
2: Thank you. That was very understandable.
1: Okay, next on the phone, we have Jack. Jack, are you there? Yes, sir. Hello. What's your question?
2: Okay, my question is... Would you explain the
0: modern-day Palestinians,
1: who they are? Uh, That's another great question. Who are the modern-day Palestinians? That was Jack's question. Well, I write about this in the 12, in my chapter on Obadiah. The prophet Obadiah did not preach to the nation of Israel. Instead, he preached to Edom. In Genesis, we read that Jacob and Esau, from the two of them, came two nations. Jacob's name was changed to Israel and his 12 sons founded the nation of Israel, the chosen nation from which the Lord Jesus Christ came. Jacob's brother Esau founded the nation of Edom. We also read in Genesis that Jacob taught Esau out of his birthright for a plate of stew. Later, he tricked his father, his father Isaac, into blessing him instead of Esau. Esau then took the lesser inheritance, and he went down to a place called Mount Seir in Edom. And Esau chased out the people that lived there. The Horites were the group that lived there, and he took over that mountainous area of cave dwellings. The capital city of Edom was Selah, and it was hidden away in a very remote part of the dark red sandstone highlands there. Today we know Selah as Petra. Petra is a tourist attraction in Jordan, and it was featured in that movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Anyway, there's been a long history of hate between Edom and Israel, but when the Babylonian Empire spread westward, Edom and Israel made a treaty to help each other. However, Edom refused to help Israel and instead joined with the Babylonians to destroy Jerusalem and the temple. And the Babylonians gave those Jewish lands then to the Edomites to replace the Jews that had been taken into captivity or killed. And the Edomites left Petra and they occupied those. Jewish lands. Around the same time, the Nabataeans, who were descended from Ishmael, came up from Arabia and settled in Petra. So the Jews throughout history had trouble with the Edomites in their land after they came back from Babylon. They were called Idumeans by the Romans, and that was Herod. Herod was an Edomite. He was an Idumean. And so when Jesus entered the world, the king of Judah was King Herod, a descendant of Jacob, Jesus, when he stood before King Herod, a descendant of Esau, it was another manifestation of this conflict between Rebekah's two sons. So after 70 AD, when the Jews were either killed, sold into slavery, or escaped into other nations, the Edomites were left there in the land, and that's who the Palestinians are today. The Palestinians are not Arabs like a lot of people think. They're really descendants of Esau. They're Edomites. The Edomites, the Palestinians there, hate the Jews because they believe the land of Israel belongs to them. And understanding all of that history, and I know that was a lot, Jack, I was a long way to answer your question, but understanding all of that history helps to make sense of that constant state of conflict that we see in Israel today. And again, I know that was a lot of information, but if you're interested in that history, I write more about it in great detail in the 12 in the book, in the chapter on Obadiah. Jack, thanks for the call. Great question. Uh, okay, thank you. Okay, if you're just tuning in, I'm James Collins, and we're taking phone calls from listeners with questions about my new book, The Twelve. The book is available now by calling 1-800-652-1144, or you can get a copy online at swrc.com. Let's get back to the phone lines now. We have uh, another caller. I think it's Danny on the phone. Danny, hi. You're on with James Collins.
2: Oh, thank you. The prophet Amos predicted that there would be a famine from hearing the word of God. Do you believe we are seeing that prophecy happening today?
1: Well, yes, Danny, I do. I write specifically about that famine in my book, the 12. In Amos eight, eleven, and 12, we read, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord, and they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east, and they shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord. And shall not find it. Also, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We need the Word of God spiritually to grow. Every kind of life requires nutrients, even your spirit. And a famine of the Word of God, the prophet Amos predicted, would come upon the world at the end of the age. And I believe it's already here, Danny. People all over the world are no longer interested in hearing the Word of God, we live in a world where, like the prophet predicted, people run to and fro seeking what they're not able to find because they have rejected God's Word for so long, they're not even able to recognize the truth of God's Word, even if that's what they desire, even if that's what they look for. I think we're, we're reaping what we have sown, Danny. Those are great questions. Thanks so much for that call, Danny. Thank you. Okay, let's go back to the phone for another call. We have Veronica on the line. Go ahead, Veronica. Yes, I would like to know why when God told him to go to Nineveh, did Jonah run in the opposite direction? If you didn't hear that, Veronica's question was, when God told him to go to Nineveh, why did Jonah run in the opposite direction? Well, in Jonah's time, the Jews absolutely hated the people of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It was uh, in what is now northern Iraq, a suburb of the modern city of Mosul. When I was in the army, I actually spent some time there. I actually uh, went to Nineveh and preached at the gates of Nineveh, the ruins there of Nineveh. But anyway, the Assyrians themselves, they were barbarians. They were ruthless. They actually would skin alive the people they conquered. And they were the bitter enemies of the Jews. And kind of a state of war existed between... The Jews and the Assyrians, and eventually the Assyrians conquered and took the Jews into captivity. The Northern Kingdom of Israel, in 722-721 uh, BC. Now, the city of Nineveh itself was huge. It was it was massive, and it was a very pagan city. It was very famous for its worship of, of pagan gods. They worshipped the god Ishtar, uh, a fertility goddess and it was about 2000 or so temples to many different false gods and it was just a pagan awful city so god told jonah to go to a place where they butchered their enemies practiced idolatry they offered human sacrifices and they worshiped through temple prostitutes so in the eyes of a man of god like jonah a prophet the assyrians were just an abomination and they they were worthy of god's wrath of God's destruction. So, Veronica, imagine for a moment if you, as a Christian, as a believer, had a neighbor who worshiped the devil, and that neighbor beat you up whenever you walked past, and that neighbor raped your daughter. Then imagine the Lord said to you that he's going to judge your neighbor for his wickedness, and he wants you to take the news to your neighbor. What would you do? Well, Jonah, Jonah decided to run, so anyway, that's a great question, Veronica. Thanks so much for the call. Thank you. Okay, let's go back to the phone lines once again. Uh, I think we have a caller on the line. We have Tabitha from Oklahoma. Tabitha, you're on with James Collins.
0: All right, why does the book, The Twelve, there's a subtitle that is Ancient Messages of Hope for Today's Dark World. Why is that?
1: Well, I didn't want to be all doom and gloom. These 12 men call God's people To have revival. They really did. They they did preach doom and gloom. They preached judgment, but they called the people of God to repent of their sin and to return to God. Now, I want you to understand that revival is an experience among God's people. Uh, Revival is for saved people. If you're lost, you've never been vibed. Only the vibed can be revived, and these prophets called for revival. They called for a spiritual awakening, and they had a ministry of redirection, of encouragement, if you will. During difficult times, during times of heartache and challenge, during times of adversity, despair, when there was no hope, these prophets would direct the people's attention away from their problems and and back to God, and that would give them hope. And the prophets also called for the lost to get saved. They called for the lost to come to God. Now, it's true that they preached God's judgment, but they didn't do it to frighten people with a message of inescapable doom, but instead they did it to invite people to turn to the Lord. Even when they talked about all these terrible things that would happen to those who kept on in their evil ways, these 12 prophets had another purpose. It was to invite the lost to come to God for salvation. So that's why their messages are messages of hope, and we desperately need that hope today in this dark world that we live in. Thanks for the call, Tabeth. I appreciate the question. Tabeth. All right, let's go back to the phone lines again. We have Chris on the phone. Chris, you're on with James Collins on The Watchman on the Wall. What's your question today? Oh, thank you, James. My question is, how is the book of Micah like a courtroom drama? Chris's question was, how is the book of Micah like a courtroom drama? Well, I addressed that very thing in the 12. Micah chapter six is like a scene from one of those courtroom mystery shows, Perry Mason, Matlock, Law and Order, one of those types of programs. It's like a scene from a courtroom drama. The people are on trial, and the mountains are the witnesses. The mountains have stood for many years in silence, and in all those centuries, the mountains were witnesses to God working for his people. In fact, in Micah 6.2, we read, Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. So Micah made God's case against his people like a lawyer in court. At this time, God's people had turned away from the Lord. They had acted like there was no God. They forgot all about him. And, you know, Chris, I wonder if God put America on trial today, would we also be found guilty of forgetting about God? It's a great question, Chris. Thanks thanks for the call. Thanks for calling in today.
0: Thank you, James.
1: Well, we're all out of time for today's program. I'm James Collins, and we've been taking phone calls from our listeners with questions about my new book, The Twelve. It's all about the Twelve Minor Prophets of the Old Testament. The book is available right now by calling 1-800-652-1144. That toll-free number once again, 1-800-652-1144. Or you can get a copy online at swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Thanks again to all our callers. Thanks to my engineer, Marvin, for handling all the calls today. And thanks for joining us on this episode of The Watchman
0: on the Wall. In the brand new book, The Twelve, James Collins explores the life and times of the minor prophets. James considers the circumstances under which each prophet labored, the issues he confronted, what his message meant for the people of his day, and how that message applies to those of us living in these last days. Get The Twelve book and our 2022 prophecy calendar, which is based on The Twelve, for a gift of $20 or more when you call toll-free 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order the 12 online, swrc.com. Dr. Larry Spargiamino has spent decades studying the Bible, pastoring churches, authoring books, and teaching seminary students. He brings that knowledge and insight to us with a segment we call Ask Pastor Larry. If you have a Bible question, email askpastorlarry at swrc.com. That's Larry at swrc.com. Pastor Larry, with everything going on in the world, is God in control?
2: When someone has lost a loved one because of a freak accident, is it biblically correct to remind the survivor that God is always in control? Now this is a valid question, but the answer, while available, may be slippery as an eel and hard to hold onto. Most people don't know how slippery an eel is, I do. When I was younger, we used to fish for eels. Despite their serpentine look, they are a delicacy in many parts of the world. If you catch one on rod and reel, they put up a good fight. They are especially difficult to prepare for the kitchen. The answer to the question is God always in control involves many deep issues, ranging from the sovereignty of God, the freedom and guilt of man, and the role of man in history. This is, however, a valid question, so let's look at it a little more closely. When a family is wiped out in a landslide or a flood, do you tell the grieving members God is always in control? In Job chapter 1, verses 13 through 19, Job received one item of bad news after another. It's hard to imagine how any human could receive such bad news and still keep his sanity. A band of Sabaeans came and murdered Job's servants. Then fire from the sky came and decimated Job's flocks. After that, a marauding band of Chaldeans came and took Job's very expensive camels. And while the previous messenger had hardly finished his report to Job, another came and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. Now if you were Job's friend, would you have said to him, Job, God is always in control, Well, Job's wife thought she had good advice for Job. She said, Job, curse God and die. While I was preparing to make my first trip to Pakistan, my contact there called one Saturday morning. He was sobbing and overwhelmed with grief. He told me that Muslim militants had attacked a nearby Christian colony and had set the whole colony on fire. My contact asked if I were still coming. I said, yes, I'm coming. And when I get there, I want to meet with the survivors of the tragedy. When I arrived, one of the men in the village whose whole family had been killed had a homemade video that he wanted me to take and share with our listeners. On the video were the partially burned bodies of his family and his darling eight-year-old daughter whose face was horribly charred and burned. Now, should I have told him God is always in control? Would that have been appropriate? And furthermore, was it true? King Herod lied and wanted to know where the new king of Israel was. He said he wanted to come and worship him. But an angel came to Joseph and said, get out of here, go to Egypt. Herod wants to murder the baby. Matthew 2 verse 16 tells us, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and all the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time when he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Now the Bible doesn't tell us the details, but were all those little children strangled, their necks broken, their throats slashed, maybe something even worse. We're not told, but the mothers were devastated. Matthew 2 verse 18 says this, In Ramah was there a voice heard lamentation and weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. Should those weeping mothers have been reminded God is always in control? So the question is, is God always in control? Only if his perfect will is always done. Obviously, he permits much to occur that is not in accord with his perfect will. God's activities and workings in the affairs of men are more mysterious and nuanced than most people are willing to admit. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. If God is in control, and God's will is always being done on earth as it is in heaven, why would Jesus tell us to pray this prayer? As we read the Bible, we see, for example, that men resist the Holy Spirit. We find, as we do in Isaiah 65, 12, that people choose to do things that displease God. In Matthew 23, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. His will was to bring blessing upon the people, but they refused God's will. Does that mean that God has no power? No, it means that God has granted mortals freedom and decision. Man did not take that from God. God granted that privilege to man. God demonstrates his lordship and sovereignty, not only in what he directly wills, but also in what he has determined not to will. Is God always in control? He sure is, but not in the way that many people mean when they say God
0: is always in control. In the Resource Center, we are excited to offer James Collins' brand-new book on the Minor Prophets entitled, The Twelve. In the messages of the Twelve Minor Prophets, there's a recurring theme. That theme is hope. While it's true that these prophets speak of God's judgment, their messages were more than doom and gloom. God not only gave these twelve men some of the most incredible predictions for the future, but He also gave them practical ways to live today and an optimistic view of an amazing life to come. The Twelve, known as Minor Prophets, were the courageous and true spokesmen of God during the time of the great Assyrian, Babylonian, and Persian empires. They preached God's Word, and they didn't care who they offended. Even though they preached thousands of years ago, they have some of the most relevant and contemporary messages that you will find anywhere in the Bible. In the Twelve, James Collins explores the life and times of the Minor Prophets. His teaching brings the major emphasis of these men of God alive for the reader. The Twelve is a collection of exceptional expositional essays on each of the Twelve Prophets. Let me encourage you, my friends, get The Twelve by James Collins for a gift of $20 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. New year, new resource. The Twelve. By James Collins. Get copies for you and for your church. Order the 12 today when you call 1 800 652 1144 or online SWRC.com. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit SWRC.com. That's SWRC.com.